one. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. You're catching the program at 10 a.m. Pacific time and 1 p.m. Eastern time sharp. I always try to promise you guys that we're going to bring the show to you live and on time. Neil, my co-host, what's happening, sir? Um, I am vainly trying to figure out how to organize everything in the draft on the NFL Wire Network and all 34 of our sites. And that is an impossible task, but it's one that I enjoy. And it's one that I'm looking forward to this week because, as you know, Lance, it is draft week. We are very excited for it. Uh, this is going to be one of the most entertaining drafts I think we've seen in a long time. That This is going to be a, a very different uh, feel to it. I don't think the predictions are going to be nearly as accurate as they have been. And we've seen a lot of that leading into it. There's a lot of information flying around, which is typical, but it's odd. It's very different. And every pick that's made is going to have the, the overhanging. Did they get enough information? Is that why they took this? They're just comfortable with this guy because they were able to see more of this player versus that player. I, I think you're going to see a lot of players um, kind of fall into that questionable value range where they might not uh, – Last or last two years ago, call it. They might not have fallen into that spot. So that this is this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. So, listeners, on this particular show, we are definitely going to do a four round mock of this show. That's going to come a little bit later. Some of the other things we're going to talk about on this show, we're going to talk about the Tomlin extension. We're going to briefly talk about the fifth year option for Minka and Edmonds to see if that makes sense. And like we've always said, we're going to try to be we're, we're, we're being a little more current, a little more news stuff that occurred this week because we feel like the extension to Tomlin's a big deal. But the theme of this show is on the clock. And because the draft is coming up, that's the theme of the show. And we're going to talk about from the perspective of Tomlin about what what on the clock means for Tomlin and that particular extension. So make sure you guys hang on to the show. We're going to get to the mock draft of the show a little bit later in the show, and we're going to go through the first four rounds of the mock. We're not going to go through all of the entire selections that the Steelers have. Also, before we jump in the show, I want to give a big shout-out to the MIMS Seed Company. Uh, Coach Mims was on the show in the chat last week. So if you're in the Oakland area, do a search for the MIMS Seed Company for Emotional Intelligence uh, training and assistance for for youth in the Oakland area, in the Bay Area, in California. So make sure you do a search for the MIM Seed Company. But let me jump into: uh, Did Coach Tomlin deserve the extension? As always, listeners, you can find a show at YouTube. Do a search for Lance Williams in the Neil and the New Standard, or do a search for Neil Kulong in the New Standard. And and the show is available on all Google and Apple and all podcast platforms. But the big question is, and Steeler Nation was going back and forth after the three-year extension for Mike Tomlin was announced. And we've talked about it before in the past. I, I know, Neil, offline, uh, just about how whiny Steeler Nation can be in terms of <laughs> of Mike Tomlin as if he deser- and if he's deserving. So I wanted to just answer that question from from – a couple of perspectives. One, I think Mike Tomlin is a great coach, but like all coaches, coaches are flawed. I think he has his strengths. He has his weaknesses. Um, I think one of his strengths is just his consistency. His team, his team show up prepared and, and they win games. I mean, they win a ton of football games. I know a lot of Steeler fans are upset with the fact when you mention the fact that Tomlin has never had a losing record, they often say, well, the goal is not to have a losing record. The goal is to win Super Bowls. But unfortunately, when you're a franchise that has six Super Bowls, and I believe the NFL has played over 100 years, that tells you that it's pretty hard to win a Super Bowl. So, I mean, those are lofty expectations and one I think that the Steelers should have, but it's difficult to win Super Bowls. So I don't think you can begrudge a coach if they don't win a Super Bowl every single season like Steeler Nation would require. I think another thing that Tomlin has done well, so I think he's absolutely deserving of the extension. I think he's done a great job of managing up. I think his relationship with Colbert and ownership is rock solid. They tend to be in hook and step, and he tends to articulate the vision of the organization from the up perspective, His his who he reports to, to Colbert and to the ownership. So I think he manages that relationship well. I think he also manages relationship well with his quarterback. You never see him criticize his quarterback. So I think that's a strength as well, and I think he manages his relationship with his players as well. 
he demands respect. There were some great clips on Twitter about him getting into Marquise Pouncey about what, you know, what was going on in the game and what should have been going on in the game and what the focus was and how the mission was bigger than him and that it was about winning games. I think it also says that they trust him with the rebuild. And I think you're going to speak more to this when we get to the, the, the perspective of on the clock, but they trust him with the rebuild. And why would they not trust him with the rebuild? He's been extremely successful. And I think if he continues to win games, he has a gold jacket in his future. And lastly, it seems to me that he wants to continue coaching. I always thought that he might exit stage right when Ben Roethlisberger exited stage right, that possibly they were a package deal and they would ride out in the sunset together. But it looks like Mike Tomlin still wants to coach, still has a passion for it, and he still should coach, in my opinion. Now, in terms of the perspective of on the clock, how does that coincide with Colbert, Colbert's extension? And just, uh, you texted me something very interesting this morning. And, and just explain a little bit more about what you were talking about in that text in, in, in terms of on the clock and how they are connected, Colbert and Tomlin, and what that means. I th- I think logically, and first let me let me just intro what I'm about to say with this. Mike Tomlin is a good football coach. Kevin Colbert's a good general manager. Um, yes, winning the Super Bowl is the ultimate goal for everybody. There are a trillion different factors that play into that, and we see that time and time again. The biggest challenge I think that people have is they think that there is one magic way to do all of that, and there, there's no consistency between any Super Bowl champion except for they coached well, they had a good roster, they stayed healthy, um, they, they tend to be teams that can play defense as well as offense, uh, they have good personnel, they're obviously under the salary cap. There are – a lot of these components, though, are, are very general. Um, you need everything to win a championship. I mean, that's really just what it comes down to. You can't say that Mike Tomlin and Kevin Colbert paired together are incapable of winning that. If you're going to nitpick, and I, I I understand how popular it's going to be to say this, but if you're going to nitpick clock management, how you use timeouts, and, and equate that to a champion, I, I don't know what to tell you, but it, it's not – the, the team that uses their timeouts in the subjective, uh, most appropriate fashion throughout a season, I'll bet is not the Super Bowl champion every year. It is not a factor uh, overall in, in winning a championship. You might screw it up. Fact, you might not fact. manage the clock. You, you might not manage the clock as well as you should have. These are all things that, that come within a game. Now, if you have been on an NFL sideline and you've seen the sheer and utter chaos that takes place when you're there, you can understand how something might get missed here and there. Um, there's also a ton of stuff that people don't know about that happens. Tomlin might not be the only person in charge of that, but when he's in front of microphones right. and cameras, he's going to say that he is. He's going to say that he's in charge of absolutely everything because he has to be the point person. You have one voice speaking for everything. That That's by design. There's a bunch of stuff that happens behind the scenes. There are things that you just don't know about um, that happen on a sideline, up in the booth, everything like that. Um, putting all of that together, organizing it, managing it takes a, a significant amount of organizational skill, of leadership. Those are the traits that Mike Tomlin has. I'm not even getting into the specific football stuff. It's about directing people to go in the same direction. Okay, it, it, It's pointing out a vision and bringing everybody together to get to that spot. That's not even X's and O's. Okay, it, It's not purely an X's and O's game. Ask Cliff Kingsbury how well that's working out for him. This is a guy that is so adept at, at offensive X's and O's. He's never finished, I think, more than a game or two over 500 at ever, any level he's ever coached. I'm not trying to, to bash Cliff Kingsbury, but that's the stud hire. That's the new guy that, that the team that's been down on its luck and been terrible and all that has to go out and find. Would you want Cliff Kingsbury right now or Mike Tomlin? No, I'd want to live in Cliff Kingsbury's house in yes, Arizona, there, there which are is many, fabulous. I, I would want to be Cliff Kingsbury. Yes. I, don't know, I don't know if I'd want Cliff Kingsbury running my team over Mike Tomlin. <laughs> Those are two totally different things, though, Lance. Totally different things. All right? The, the women absolutely love Cliff Kingsbury, and you can see why. You know, he's <laughs> On top of that now, he's making $9, 10000000 million a year or whatever it is. Point being, 
Mike Tomlin is a, a master motivator. He's a master uh, organizational leader, and he has a boatload of experience that you just can't go out and get from a successful coach. That's why you use things like there's a reason he's never had a losing record. I'm not saying that is the end all be all of his job. I promise you, Mike Tomlin is going to be the first person to say, I don't care if I've never had a losing season. What matters is winning championships. He'll be the first person to say that. So it's not that I disagree with that notion. I'm just saying, is he incapable? Is that why you want to get rid of him? Why do you want to fire the guy so badly? Why do you not want him to lead the team? What, what has he done for you to not want to lead the team? I, I don't see that. I see a team that, um, to be fair, recently hasn't been very good, and they've overachieved. 2019, that roster, after Roethlisberger went down, not only is it the absence of probably your best player, it's the presence of now your worst player. And that was either Mason Rudolph or something called Duck Hodges that they pulled out of FCS <laughs> who didn't even make it through training camp. He didn't even make the roster, okay? He had to start multiple games. They won with that team, all right? If, if Mike Tomlin is not at, at least a part of that, I don't know what to tell you. Clearly, he's behind the scenes. Clearly, he's guiding all of this. That's his imprint. That team yeah, think- should not have been 8-8. Eight and eight. That team should not – granted, they they fell apart with three games down the stretch, but frankly, they shouldn't have won eight before that with what they had. So they, they overachieved that year. Last year, winning 11 in a row and seeing it fall apart the way that it did, that wasn't the team collapsing as much as it was, probably kind of coming back to the center where it should have been. I right. said eight and eight for that team last year. I didn't think it was a very good roster. They grossly overachieved for what they were trying to do, and it caught up to them in the end. I don't think this year's team is going to be very good. They had to rebuild a lot of things. Losing Ryan Shazier was a significant problem. Not having Le'Veon Bell was not in their plans. Antonio Brown going nuts was not in their plans. They had to manage around all of that. That's really hard to do. And for them to even be kind of successful the way that they did suggests they've got good leadership in place. They need dudes, okay? They have not had dudes. The players in this team are not nearly as good as people think that they are. They're used to the Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, fantasy football, offensive Steelers of the last decade. And those are they, they were good teams, but clearly not good enough considering where they finished. Everybody immediately wants to blame the coaching and not their complete lack of depth, not the, the issues that they have with injuries, things that they cropped up that they could not overcome. If you think that that's a question of leadership, the fact that you lose an all-pro player and you aren't able to replace that player evenly, I don't know what to tell you. That's a personnel problem, and it's a nice problem to have. It just would be nice if if they could have gotten a running back to last through uh, the the playoffs in any one of those seasons. They might have been a champion. You know what I think, Neil, is I think it's just a lack of lens to it all. And when, as fans on the outside – uh, we don't have a complete lens to everything that goes on. And what we have a lens to are the players and the coaches. But make the connection to what you were talking about in the text today, the on-the-clock and the connection with Colbert and how that plays into the future and, and, and why. And, and just explain what you were texting to me um, earlier today. And to me, the the big thing is if you are not sure of your coach, you are not going to let your coach be a part of your draft. Okay, so for Tomlin to get an extension ahead of the draft, to me, suggests we have confidence in you. Go do what you need to do. Why would you need to say that before the draft? When Tomlin gets extensions in the past, it's before training camp. Now, I, I don't have it in front of me, but that that's my memory. I remember writing the stories about it. When he gets a contract extension, it's while they're in Latrobe. It's not before the draft. So what are you saying by doing it before the draft? There are some things that you're going to have to do that are not going to be immediately beneficial. Now, that's just my speculation. I'm not reporting that. But think about it. If you're doing it now, you want to give your coach or your coach is saying, hey, you need to give me this. The the vote of confidence is being given to Mike Tomlin. And Kevin Colbert had one earlier this season as well before free agency. Same type of thing. These are moves that we have to make. This is kind of an unprecedented situation for everybody. We don't know how well this is going to work in the short term. But if you believe in our long-term plan, you need to back us up. You need to give us the contract now. We're not discussing it with what we think to be, again, my opinion, what we think is probably going to be a a less than desirable season, but we're going somewhere. And to get to where we want to be, 
we're probably going to have to take a step back this year. That means people don't like the running back in the draft. I, I get it. We're going to have to make decisions in this draft that are going to benefit this team the next you know, two, three years down the line, more so than now. And that's not a typical Steelers mentality in the first round. They're usually drafting players in the first round that can help immediately to some degree. They're not going to be all pros, but usually they're taking guys in the last couple of years that are going to play for them right away. Uh, you remember when Ryan Shazier was drafted, the thought was right away, well, the Steelers defensive players, they don't play as rookies. They they develop, they train. No, they, they cut Larry Foote and they trotted Shazier out there with the idea of him playing a thousand snaps. Devin Bush played a thousand snaps when they picked him up. They get rookies that are playing now. You know, TJ Watt played a bunch. Bud Dupree played a bunch. And I don't think Bud Dupree knew what he was doing his rookie year. So they, they're, they're drafting guys to get on the field right away. That might be kind of an indication that maybe first, second round guys, they're looking more for rebuild projects for positions that they're going to need. But the bottom line is they're, they're giving their coach and their general manager the vote of confidence to go get the job done the way that they needed to get done. I know that Tomlin's going to say up and down that we're trying to win. This is how we're going to build the team. This is We're confident in these guys, blah, blah, blah. No, the roster's not stacked. They're thin. They still have $11 million in free agency that they haven't spent, but they're going to have to draft eight guys this draft that, that can at least participate in special teams this year. They don't have anybody signed, and they have, like, nobody signed for next year. So you put all that together, they're acknowledging that they are in a transition period right now, and we just haven't seen that. Uh, really since they decided to go with Ben and not let Tommy Maddox come back on the field back in 2004. They haven't had to transition anything. So to me, it's, it's, it's more, yeah, they're, they're not look. It, it's not that they're trying to lose. They're going to try to win. They're just realistic about their ability to do that right now. They're going to have to draft guys that they can get on the field, but probably aren't going to be all that good. When your third round pick has to play, you're in trouble. And that might be yeah, a center. absolutely. That might be at a key position because they can't draft more than what they have. They're not going to be able to trade down uh, for, for anything of, of significant value. It's just not going to happen. So let me ask you about the years. Um, and then we'll jump to the topic of Minka and Edmonds and, and the options. Uh, Tomlin was a three-year extension. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Colbert's on a year-to-year Colbert signed a multi-year deal, but he says it's year to year. I think what that means really is an option at some point. Um, they want to lock him up with the idea that he might retire. So okay. both, to me, that suggests both sides are kind of on the same page. If I feel like right. it, I'll come back. I might right not. Right if I don't. Um, I, I hope for their sake that Kevin Colbert does. I think he's he's clearly shown himself to be one of the best general managers in the NFL over two decades. He's done a great job. He might want to retire. I, I let, wouldn't blame him for that at all. Me, if I had that much money, I'd want to retire. So let me give you, know, you let me give you my crystal ball. Let me give you my crystal ball. And and, and I'm going to look at it from a perspective uh from a corporate perspective. Relationships are everything in corporate America. Um uh, particularly with um direct reports and, and, and their managers and, and the organizational chart and all that stuff. It's everything. Relationships are everything. When you find someone this is my assumption here. When you find someone that you work very well with and you have a ton of success with where you sort of become a Batman and Robin type tandem. If you if you're working for a good organization, an organization recognizes it and they try to keep it together as long as possible. Can you envision Tomlin being here past Colbert and. Tomlin doing this whole thing with another guy in charge because it feels like because I, I thought Tomlin and Ben were were at were at the hip. I, I thought they were a two man tandem. You know, they both might walk away in the sun. That was probably a little naive on my part. You know, it's hard to walk away from that much money um, if a team is going to give it to you. Just keep stacking that bread. Um, but what you, could you foresee Tomlin wanting to do this without Colbert? It feels like that duo. The Steelers are going to keep that duo together as long as they can. I, I would think simply that if they want to stay in their positions, they they want to work together, they will. Yeah. Um, I don't think it, it's – people tend to want to have some type of third act plot twist to everything, and they need to tie everything up in a neat bow. Uh, what you said before, if they're offering you that money, they're going to take it. That that's that's really what it comes down to, you know. If you yeah. Look back to, to <laughs> probably of, of our era, the most infamous example of this was 
the Vikings literally sending players down to Mississippi to get Brett Favre to come to training camp. Now, depending on whose account of the story that you hear, we all laugh and think it's funny. They had to physically get him into the car to bring him to the airport to get to camp. Okay. Brett Favre was horrible in his last season. He clearly wasn't invested in it. But you know what? They paid him $20 million. All right. He's going to take $20 million for a year that if he can deal with it physically, who cares? Now you look at him, he's probably a walking case of CTE, and he's saying all kinds of random crap that nobody cares about. But the, the point is, he's got $20 million in, in the bank for playing that one season. If the Steelers want to continue to pay them at that level, they're going to stay there. Yeah. You know, to me, that's a, and I'll, I'll preface it by saying, in Mike Tomlin's case, if you get to know Mike Tomlin away from the microphones and you see his, his real personality, if you think that the networks went after Drew Brees aggressively for the booth. Oh yeah. They go nuts over Tomlin. Tomlin he, oh, yeah. he is very, very funny. He's very witty. He always has that letter le- level of energy. You think the guy was 20 years younger. I mean, he's, he's fantastic to listen to. He's one of the most naturally charismatic people you're ever going to meet. Uh, uh, there's a studio that would pay him very close, if not more than what he's making from the Steelers right now to be a part of a, a pregame or a postgame show. Um, he would be able to get that. I'm, I'm convinced of that. So in my mind, it's always been once he gets sick of coaching and wants to just make money and put in 2% of the work, that he has that option available to him. I think Mike just really enjoys coaching. I think he really enjoys yeah. the, the development piece of it. And if that's the case, and I, I'm, I'm kind of connecting some dots here, but if that's the case – this is a phenomenal opportunity for him because he's got a blank canvas in front of him. He has never developed a quarterback, a starter. He's never had to do that. It, it might be the one thing that you could really knock his career for at this point, except for, you know, well, he didn't win enough Super Bowls. He didn't beat Belichick often enough. Like, okay, sorry. I'm, I'm sure he's apologetic for that. It, the reality is, though, he did not have the same type of challenge that every coach in his era has had. And that, that really yeah, is Belichick uh, and Brady, developing yes. that quarterback. So yes. Belichick being the other one. And Belichick is yeah. in the middle of doing the same thing. So right. I could see uh, if, if Tomlin, and I, I feel this honest to God as, as one of the most true things I will ever say, I think Mike Tomlin really enjoys the fundamental aspects of coaching. I think he really enjoys developing. He enjoys overseeing, uh, evaluating what he has and building something. And if that's the case, I totally see why he would sign a three-year extension right now because that's what this team is going to be at least for one more season. They're not going to be good, but they're developing into something else. And really, the Steelers haven't had a need to do that because they've always had Roethlisberger. They're not having Roethlisberger beyond this year. I don't think they're even really having Roethlisberger this year, to be honest. I'm not sure what we're going to get, but it's (laughs) not going to be good. And they're, they're not going to win, and they're going to have to build this from the ground up. The worst part of it is, though, Lance, in, in the history of this show, one thing we've talked about the most often next to Sexy Tanking is the fact that they have a, a completely depleted roster and they're drafting 24 overall. That's not a good place to be for, for a two-year plan. Three-year plan, you're probably going to need to not be good this year to get a, a more premium draft pick next season and a, a much less restricted free agency path to build for next year. I think Tomlin signed for that more so than he's signing for now. And the fact that Colbert is in place shows the organization is behind uh, the leadership that they've delivered for close to two decades now. To Steeler Freak's point, and we're going to transition to the fifth-year option question because I think we're getting close to the time where we're going to have Luke on the program shortly. Uh, To Steeler Freak's point, I wish he enjoyed winning in the playoffs. Um. Oh, he hates it. He absolutely hates winning in the playoffs. I, 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 I'm, I'm sure he absolutely hates it. it. It's. I just don't. I mean, sometimes it's just. I mean, it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. It, you know, it it just doesn't happen. Um, I'm sure. I mean, and the one thing I've learned about coaching, and I'll say it over and over because I coached high school baseball, uh, and I'll say it's the most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. Coaching is very difficult, and you only coach if you love it and you have a passion for the game, uh, maybe it, you're hilarious when you said, we don't know what we're going to get with Ben. Uh, maybe we're going to get a uh, Todd Roethlisberger. 
Maybe we'll just get we'll get Todd Roethlisberger. The B will be left out, and we'll get Todd Roethlisberger. That that's maybe who we'll for, get for his one year for his Chris Porter season in the NFL. So now there's a big question coming up. I don't think the question is as big for Minka, but I think the question is about the tandem of Minka and Edmonds about the fifth year option. And the fifth year option for Minka is at ten point six. The fifth year option for Edmonds is at 6.5, but I don't think it's so much about the money per se. Um, it's does it make sense for them to extend both? I think it's obvious for Minka, but it does Does it make sense for the Steelers to keep that tandem, that safety tandem together? I think so. I think Edmonds is a jack of all trades. I think his athleticism allows him to use him and deploy him in different ways. They can be, be They can be very multiple, in my opinion, because of Edmonds. Uh, what's your thought on them? Um, offering the fifth year option to both players i think it, one i think they will um initially i did not think that, that was going to be the case um edmonds and this is kind of the 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 ironic part of it edmonds has been not good enough to put him at a salary level that they will keep him um long term the safety position is probably the most overabundant commodity on the market there are not a whole lot of guys that are going to get six and a half million a year at safety. Minka though is one of them. That's a no brainer. Uh, he clearly is, is a part of the, the, the increasing and, you know, yet to be revealed new core of, of the Steelers team. He's going to be one of the guys they signed to a long-term deal. Wouldn't surprise me if they do that next year. Um, I think Edmonds uh, uh, at that point, he will have started on the team for four years. They know exactly what they have with him. He's hitting his prime. He's really starting to understand his role. Uh, that comes to, you know, I, I think his role is much much more clearly defined when Fitzpatrick is on the field. I think Minka makes him better. Yes. It makes him, it, it, it creates more opportunity for him to do just simple things. And they, they can use him in a variety of different ways. I thought last year they would do something similar to that uh, with Minka. They really kept him back. They're, they're committed to kind of having him be the Ed Reed type of, of center fielder that he was in the middle point in his career. They're not getting him to the line. They're not having, having cover the slot. Uh, They're really kind of keeping him home. If that's the case, you can use the other one in a variety of different ways. Experience and athleticism are two key components to having a safety like that. I think he gives them uh, a, a level of versatility that they're not going to be they'll be hard pressed to replace immediately. Um, but I will say this six and a half million dollars when you can get a reasonable veteran safety right now for 2 million, two and a half million. Um, I, I, I can't say I'm a hundred percent betting on, on them keeping it. I would, that would be my bet. I'm not totally sure that right. they will do that. The reason I think though is, I don't know how you work out a long-term extension with both of them. And to some yeah, degree, yeah, if you're rebuilding, you may as well get on with it. You know, I, yeah. I could see them going in a different direction for that reason, but it is not because Terrell Edmonds is not a reasonable player. I don't think he's getting six and a half million on an extension. Okay. That that's, that's a one year right. price. That's a, an artificial market. It, it's not pure. They, they can't really test that uh, without cutting him. He's not going to get that in the open market. So they might say, we're going to decline it, but we're open for an extension. I don't think this is the time to do it. So I think they'd rather uh, keep as much uh, continuity in place as they can. But the ultimate test, Lance, is going to be next week. Do they draft a safety? Do they draft a safety? And I'm not I'll talking an right. Antoine Brooks, which, by the right. way, might be a guy they're looking at for for a, a mink, or a, excuse me, a, an Edmonds uh, role filler later on. But if they're drafting a guy in the sixth round who, who played safety in college, we don't know exactly what he's going to do in the pros. That's not the answer. If they take one like in the third round, though, right. might be might be having a different conversation. Um, I would bet that they'll keep both at, at the prices that they're at now. I'm not 100% sold to that, though. And I think that's a perfect segue into our guest, Luke Easterling of DraftWire. Welcome, Luke, to the show. What's going on, guys? How are you doing? How are you doing? It's a good word, Luke. What's that? What's the good word? Thanks for joining us. Uh, the good word is we got four days, man. You know what the good word is around here. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I'm staying up later and I'm waking up earlier. I'm trying to train myself. 
The coffee yeah, uh, is rolling already. I'm 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 prepping my my uh, adrenals for for all the caffeine. And I'm be a quite fan a of, And I'm a fan of all Luke's because Luke's are strong with the force. Of course, I've never heard that one before. Never weird. heard that joke. <laughs> I'm a Star Wars. I'm a, I'm a Star Wars nerd. I mean, hey, I was like seven years old in '77. I think I went to see Star Wars about fifty times, hundred times in a the movie theater. So. All loops are strong with the force. Yeah, I, I mean the uh, the Luke I am your father thing is Yeah, the Luke I am your father thing is fun unless you're 7 years old and random dudes in the, you know, supermarket are telling it to you <laughs> then you're like Mom, you got some explaining to do. All these guys think they're my dad. This is weird. Add that so to I'll, the list of things you just won't hear anybody say again in in today's world versus the 80s. So I think the way we're going to do it, Luke, we're going to have you do the selection for each for the first four rounds so the 24 55 88 129 and the 140 picks we're gonna have you do the selections and neil is going to i don't know be devil's advocate of those picks and maybe offer um, a, a different slice to those picks so since you've been on the clock we had you um you know in the the netherworld room of stream yard so you've been on the clock for a sufficient amount of time with the first pick the Steelers first pick the 24th pick in the draft who are you taking and why uh you know obviously Najee Harris has been a popular pick here and I get why I am a huge fan of him as a player he's very high on my board overall I think he's a top 20 player in this draft it's just hard for me to look at the way this Steelers team is constructed and and think that that's a wise investment uh, of their first round pick. If you take a running back with the offensive line you have right now and the way it's currently constructed, I don't think you're setting that guy up for success. And if you take a running back at 24 and you don't give him the offensive line, you're cutting your legs out from under yourself. Um, so it's, it's hard for me to take a guy like that at 24, even if he is on the board, I think there's a high chance that a team like the jets right ahead of them at 23 uh, could take him off the board anyway. So I look offensive line. I think offensive tackle is going to have plenty of options there. This, this turns into an interesting part. Am I making this pick as opposed to like what I would do, or am I making the pick based on what I think the Steelers will actually do? I think either way. How about both? Yeah. I don't understand why yeah, we don't do, do both. both. You know, yeah, do both, both is always, always say more that fun. Do one me. or the other. Just which, which would you take and why, and what do you think the Steelers will do? Because I, I certainly know that those things aren't always in line for me either. Right. I think the offensive tackle conversation is interesting because if, much like you look at the Jets at 23 in terms of maybe taking that running back, you look at – Washington at 19, you'll get Indy at 21, even the Titans at 22, particularly at right tackle. And they could they could start a run on that. So it's possible that those guys, if there's this particular guy that the Steelers are in love with there, that he gets taken there and they're like, ah, you know, we'll punt on this. We'll go to the second round. But I think, honestly, interior is a little more intriguing because I think you could have your pick of every center in this draft at 24. Uh, I think – if I were picking who the Steelers would pick, I think Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma is not out of the realm of possibility at 24. It might seem a little shocking in terms of, of the, the sticker price for Steelers fans, but I think they place a high value on a center who knows what he's doing and a center who can do all the things that they require mentally and physically. So if I'm picking what the Steelers would do, I would not put it past them to take Creed Humphrey there. Me, there are a lot of tackles that I'm pretty high on that I'd be comfortable with. I know Neil's going to be happy with this. Dylan Radins is a guy that I don't think 24 is too early for. Um, a guy that, again, you can talk about the competition all day long, but he was one of the best tackles at the Senior Bowl, no matter who they lined up against him. He's big. He's athletic. He's smart. He can play left tackle. They need offensive tackles, probably two starting offensive tackles, if you look at the roster right now. And, and if it were me, I would not bat an eye about taking Dylan Radins at 24. Let me ask you this, as far as Raidens goes, and I'm going to tie this in with another name as well, uh, that, that I know that you you have uh, probably going higher than 24. But with Raidens, do you feel there is any way they might move him inside? First, I think foremost. it's always, yeah, it's always a possibility. I think a lot of times at a macro level, that conversation becomes way too simplified, right? You're like, Oh, he's 6'4 instead of 6'5, so he's got to move yeah. inside. Oh, he's got 33-inch arms instead of 34, he's got to play guard. That's not how this works. You know, if you can play tackle, they're going to play you at tackle because it's the more valuable position. If you can't, then we'll talk about it later. And the versatility to be able to play inside would be great. But that's something, honestly, that won't 
I don't know if you'll know that till training camp. You don't know that until you get a guy in, unless you're really confident in what you saw on film to be able to move him to another position. I really don't know if that's something you'll know until you get him in your building, get him out on the field, line him up in a position he didn't play, uh, and see what happens. And this year of all years, it gets even harder to, to try to project that sort of move. And I'll, I'll segue that perfectly because you, you answered half of this question before. I look at a guy uh, like like Tevin Jenkins, who I know that you've, you've kept out of the Steelers' range at, at 24. There's a lot about his game that I see uh, of past – Steelers offensive linemen. I say linemen with the Steelers probably more than any other uh, uh, team simply because, one, they don't draft tackles in the first round. I don't know why no one's ever noticed that. They send them tackles every single year. They never draft a tackle in the first round. I don't think they have since 1996. A little different era back then as well. Uh, I look at at, at uh, Tevin Jenkins, and what I see is it, the nasty sort of interior a uh, badass Steelers guard that they've incorporated often over the last decade, decade and a half. And the comparable that I come up with, and this is a, a deep pull for anybody, I think, is the fact that they took Willie Colon, who was a fourth round pick back in the mid 2000s, played him at tackle and he was a good tackle. And then they moved him into guard. Now, I'm not sure if he was a better guard. I think that move was probably more necessity than anything else. But it's the fact that he had the versatility to be able to do that. I think you could make the same argument with Jenkins. And some of that, though, I, I as you said, uh, I kind of shoot myself in the foot because part of the reason somebody would want to move Jenkins to guard, I think it's going to be because of his length. He doesn't have ideal length. Um, if you're worried about that, I think you have a different conversation and you're running things a little bit differently than, than what common sense would suggest that you do. But at the same time, if you have a guy that has a great interior lineman profile, does he have to play tackle just because that's where he played tackle, played in, in college? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think you're right on to something, particularly with Jenkins. There's a lot of other people that I respect that have written a lot about how he fits better at guard at the next level. And I think, again, that's a great problem to have. If you get him inside the building and you're thinking, you know, he played right tackle mostly at Oklahoma State, so you're thinking if, I, if I'm playing him at right tackle – but well, you slide him inside the guard, see let's, what happens. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And, and if they, you they get... literally did that exact scenario with Matt Filer last year. Matt Filer was probably a better right tackle than he was a, a left guard. And he just signed a $21 million contract with the Chargers to play tackle, where they're the, the, the his former offensive line coach is now an assistant uh, on the Chargers staff, and they signed him to play tackle. Obviously, they, they thought his best need or his best value was at tackle, but he has shown the ability to be able to do both. There's value to that. And I think in a year like this, you have um, probably less uh, information on a lot of these prospects than you would have had normally. You know that he can make out as either a tackle or a guard. You don't know which one of those needs you're going to have more of next season or maybe even this season. I don't think it's a bad idea to look at versatility as being a primary function of your first round pick this year. No, I think you're right. And I think, versatility at any position is becoming more and more valuable, but I've always preached along the offensive line that when, especially when you're talking about injuries, having guys that can play multiple positions is absolutely a, a very, very valuable thing. This reminds me, this is something I do in Madden. I love having to move a guy to another position. And then when you do it, his overall goes up like 14 points. It's just way better. The and algorithm like, oh my God, of the game this is great. So like, I almost, I've gotten to the point now where I do it with everybody. I do it with everybody I sign. Everybody <laughs> try I try them all out. What try position out. gives you the highest rating? But, but that's kind of what it speaks to is that you don't know till you get a guy in the building. If he's played yep. tackle, but you move the guard, he's hell of a lot better as a guard. You win. <laughs> that's yep. great. That's a great thing to discover. And to add to that point, too, I think this, this fits in perfectly with what you just said. If you look at RAS, if you look at relative athletic score, his grade goes up a, a pretty good amount when you move him from tackle to guard. I would argue that's probably more due to the, the length component that comes into that. He might not have ideal length arms in guard. If he's playing inside, it's not going to matter. What you get, though, is an unadulterated badass that, that can play the game. You, you see that with him. So I, I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe he might be a, a, a secret pick, but you kind of seem to be hip to the idea that he's probably gone in the early 20s. I just I see too many teams ahead of them. And honestly, I'd start with Las Vegas at 17, a, a team that just. Oh, that's just mean. Do completely not that dismantled their entire offensive line, except for Colton Miller and gave him all their money, I guess. 
Um, but now they need everything else. You know, so gonna, the guy that can put play, him with Tom Cable, it's, right? Uh, you know, they they uh, they have their left tackle, but they need everything else now. So a guy that can play right tackle mm-hmm. can slide inside to either guard position. I think honestly that could be his ceiling. But then again, you look at teams like Indy who could use more of a left tackle than a right tackle. But the Titans, especially at 22, they need a right yeah. tackle so bad, and he'd be a perfect fit there. Again, personality fit for the yep. way that offense runs. It, it fits too good. I think they'd have to move up to get him. I agree so with that completely. I think Tennessee is a, a great fit for him, and I hate that because when I look at offensive lines, especially over the last decade or so, you look at Pittsburgh, you look at Tennessee, they're not exactly the same, but you definitely see a Mike Munchak imprint uh, still on both of those franchises as far as how they construct and how they build. But I, I think uh, a guy like Jenkins would be probably not the, the fan favorite pick overall, I think, in, in Pittsburgh, but I think he'd be a really good one. So let's jump to the second round. And with the first round pick, Luke, you said Dylan Raiden's correct? Yeah, for me, that's who I would say. That's your pick, and you thought the Steelers might take Creed Humphrey. Correct. So O-line first round uh, for the Steelers on both regards for you. Last week, me and Neil took Najee Harris, by the way. We went. We kind of went. We 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 agree with the logic that you have in terms of building up front. In terms of if you're not strong up front, you're not going to get as much out of that running back pick. But we went with Najee Harris with the second round pick with the 55th selection. Let's let's go with your pick, Luke, and then let's go with the Steelers' pick. Well, I mean, if I'm taking a tackle at at 24, and again, Neil alluded to the fact that that's probably not going to happen. That's just not their style. But if that's the way they go, I think center is a great spot in the second round because I, I really like the value there. If if Humphrey doesn't go 24, I don't know where he goes until the early second round, maybe Cincinnati at 38, you know, teams that need centers off an interior offensive line, maybe Carolina at 39. But I'm hoping he kind of gets to me. If not, I think you're still going to have a couple of options. It depends on – I know Steelers like big program guys, right? They, they're not huge small school fans. So if you're picking between Quinn Miners from, from Wisconsin Whitewater, who I absolutely love, I think he's a phenomenal athlete, center guard, whatever you need. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if they preferred Landon Dickerson from Alabama. Um, me, it's an easy pick. I love Quinn Miners. I would take him if I went tackle in the first round. Um, I know there are other needs elsewhere. I know they need an edge rusher. But man, uh, you got to protect the quarterback. You got to have have lanes for your guys to run in. So I, I am not against double dipping at offensive line uh, and going with Quinn Miners, the center from Wisconsin Whitewater here. You know, I think to to some degree, you have to reemploy. And we had a, a kind of a joke saying uh, back on behind the steel curtain uh, when I was there in, in 2012. Uh, 600 pounds in the first two rounds. And the idea was at that point. They absolutely needed to revamp their entire offensive line. They were a disaster along the line. Um, and that, that's exactly what they did. They got one of them right. They, they happened to, to grab David Castro in the first round. We're not going to get into Mike Adams today, but you, you understand why they drafted a, a tackle uh, following the guard. You know, they, they, they wanted to build a foundation of a team. Miners, um, there's nothing about Miners that really screams Pittsburgh to me, uh, most of it being – um, he's a he's a Division three player. Uh, I, I get everything you're saying, Luke. You know ten times more about any of this than I can ever hope to know. But it, it, it's not a fit in the sense that they are going to have a major problem with his lack of competition, and on top of that, his his idleness. He hasn't played. I mean, he, he has a Senior Bowl, but you know he's he's going up against Division three prospects. There are 200 pound defensive linemen playing Division three football. It, it, it's it's really hard to get an evaluation on a player. Uh, when when that's going to be the vast majority of his film, um, second round, I I I'd be surprised if somebody took him in the second round for that reason. I see everything good about it. I just think that they're going to know it's a big risk. I can take somebody else if I'm wrong and somebody else grabs him in the second. That that's their cross to bear. Um, I'm not going to jump at the chance to make this guy a top 50, 60 player in the NFL or in in this draft class. But overall, here's the real tricky thing. What the Steelers also don't like is medical issues. And when you have, um, it, it, I'm looking at the comment, and yes, I'm I'm totally aware of what their their RAS scores are. Um, it, when you look at Landon Dickerson, you see a guy that that's really, and I'm not trying to, to I hate bashing guys for being hurt because it, it seems to suggest like they're not tough. That's not how I view it at all. But he is always hurt. And now you're, you're talking about a torn ACL. I know that the Steelers don't evaluate an ACL injury post-surgery, which is really what it is more so uh, than the injury itself. 
the, the reconstructive process following an ACL injury, they view as a 12 month uh, total process, start to finish. They don't expect players to be at their best selves or whatever their new best self is for a year from the, the surgery itself. Uh, it, Dickerson's going to be nowhere near that. They need right. a center. Okay. They're, they can't wait until December for a center. Right. So they need one yesterday. I don't think they're going to draft a, a guy with that big of a red flag on just one injury. On top of that, the guy's been hurt most of his career. How long is he really going to last? I mean, you, those, those are legitimate concerns. Um, I would argue this though, back against what I'm saying, the Ravens have two first round picks. Are they not going to take a center? I mean, do they want players having to defend all the accusations that their current center's wife is getting each day when the kid just gets blown away at the, the fifth round guy that they had, uh, Matt Skura, who really <laughs> didn't didn't really enamor the fans in Baltimore very much. They're going to want to find somebody, whoever that is. And if they have an extra pick now, I would think that, that that's a priority they're going to make. I'm not sure if Dickerson uh, gets out of the first round. As far as Humphrey goes, I don't know. I mean, it really, when you look at a guy like that, as athletic as he is, as, as, as a viewer pointed out, one of the best athletes available for his position in the draft, um, you hope to have seen more strength, I think. Maybe that's the best way to put it. I don't see a dominant player at the point of attack. I think that's part of what got them into the issue that they have with their offensive line. Um, they're, they're Currently, they're ath- not athletic enough to be the finesse players that they are. I think they're going to want to find a guy that can hold – uh, leverage in the middle of the line. They haven't had that out of Morky's Pouncey the last couple of years because he broke down, in my opinion. Um, they, they're they're going to want to find somebody who's a bit uh, stronger, and I'm not sure that's Humphrey either. Um, it, it's a real tough year for them to want to find a center. I mean, it's I don't think this is a great draft for where these guys are going to go and for what they do. I don't know if it's a great fit. So, Luke, you have them Steelers taking Creed Humphrey in the first. Now, let's circle back to where do you think the Steelers will do with their second-round pick? I think, and this goes back to kind of the conversation we had about Tevin Jenkins, I think if you want a guy who can play guard or tackle, Jackson Carmen from Clemson is a guy that I think would be a really interesting fit for them there. Huge, massive guy. And again, probably better off at guard than tackle, but he's got more experience at tackle, so you can get him in the building and play one or the other. But I I think, much like you said before, the the Pouncey-Adams matchup, I think maybe that feels a little early for Carmen. Maybe you feel like you're reaching, but if you feel like you've got to get offensive line help and a guy that can – can bring you versatility, athleticism, that physicality you're talking about. I think that would make sense for them there if they go Humphrey in the first. Now, I'm going to push back a little bit on two offensive linemen. I'm just going to straight up say as a fan, that's not boring as hell. That's not (laughs) sexy. But, you know, I'm probably I'm definitely probably older than both of you guys. I mean, that's not sexy at all. But I understand, (laughs) though, when you want to build a family, you don't necessarily wife the sexiest woman or the most attractive woman that you ever dated. Like, you know, you just, you know, sometimes you go, eh, I don't know. I get, but as a fan, I, I want to run it back in the second round. I want to run a football. I want to run a football. I, I want to run the football. I mean, I, I'm, I'm I, not opposed to that. I'm asking, I guess my question is, who is it? Who's going to be on the board that's worth yep. a, a pick in the 50s? Are you going to take Michael Carter there? Is that your, is that your feature back now? You, I don't see anybody there that makes me, any more excited than an offensive tackle would if I'm taking a running back there, if those three guys are off the board at the top. I, I, I'm going to keep my fan hat on. No, I don't know who that is. I just know what I want. I want to run it back. I want to run it back soon. That's all I know. Out, my wife doesn't watch this, so I'm, I'm staying neutral as far as the, the, the sexy comments go. I, I totally get that, and it does make sense. The, the problem that I have is everyone makes out makes the draft out to be like it's so locked in. Uh, players are not static. You don't get the same prospects every single year. Therefore, you can't say you can just find a good running back in the second round. There will not be that level of running back available in the second round this year. There were five of them who went between picks 24 and 55 last year. They're going to be at least three or probably at most three this year. uh, Otherwise, there's going to be a reach. You are going to get if you're the Steelers at 55. If there are four running backs off the board already, which very well could be the case, three solid guys at a miss at whatever point, one through 54, if four of those running backs are gone, which which is a, a, a palatable situation, in my opinion, you can't draft the fifth one. You just can't. They're not good enough. The Listen, three who I'm are down there here in the Tampa Bay. Guys. Yeah, I'm down here in Tampa Bay where they, they panicked in the third round last year and took Keyshawn Vaughn. And – he barely saw the field as a rookie. He, you know, showed some flashes, but had some rough moments because he just, you know, you can't get into a rhythm when you got that many guys ahead of you on the on the depth chart. They come into this year, 
Ronald Jones has still got one more year. They bring back Leonard Fournette. They sign Gio Bernard. He's not going to see the field this year yep. either. He's probably so getting cut out of that lineup. Somebody's that that cut. feels like that to me. If I'm going to go running back in the second round, if I'm the Steelers, because I just want to have a running back and need one, I'm telling you that's what it could happen on the back end is if you take a guy who's not worthy of that yep. pick, you need a corner. You need an edge rusher. You need an offensive tackle or a center, whichever you didn't get in the first round. You, you are great at picking wide receivers in the second and third round. You're better off taking a receiver in that route. In, in that range, in my opinion. So that's just the, the horror story of what can happen. You can end up with a guy who, yes, they won the Super Bowl, but Keyshawn Vaughn didn't have anything to do with that, and he might not have anything to do with it this year either. And that, that to me, is really the the, the main tie-up, Lance. I'm going to throw it over to you in a second. But the, the, the issue is you have to draft the player at a position of need who fits the pick that you're at. You need both of those things, okay? It's not one or the other, and you can't just, well – you know, Alvin Kamara went in the third round, so just draft one in the third round and get Alvin Kamara. I don't see what's so hard about that. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Obviously, that's not the case. In my opinion, the, the reason, and this is even assuming Najee Harris is available. We haven't gotten into that. He might not be available at 24. Yeah. Luke, you sent him to the Jets at 23. There are people that talk about him to the Dolphins at 18. I could totally see both of those things happen. Let's say what if Atlanta. What if Atlanta trades down from four to fifteen or sixteen, and they take him? They need him. Yeah, yeah. That that's these are are viable options. The fact that Harris plays running back is the only reason people don't want to look at him as a first round player. Which Absolutely. Is, which is putting the cart in front of the horse in the worst possible way. It's like it, it doesn't work like that. You don't. You couldn't possibly organize and evaluate players if that's how you looked at it. Well, he plays this position. This position isn't all that valuable. All right, he's not a kicker. Okay, you, you can this, see this why. position touches the ball all yeah, the time, a lot. And if you're Mike Tomlin, I don't, I don't think there's a situation where he doesn't want to get the running back the ball. He's killed like four running backs in their team. If they're good, Mike Tomlin will literally run them until their wheels fall off. And I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. I'm saying it because Mike Tomlin said those exact same words. He wants running backs to carry a lot. And watching that team and whatever they tried to throw out last year, particularly in, in short yardage. They did not have a guy that could run the ball effectively. They just didn't. Nothing was there for them. Okay. The options were horrible. They tried. Lance, you remember this. They they even put in play action, which they never used. They threw passes to tackles. They threw passes to fourth string running backs. <laughs> they ran wheel routes on fourth and one. They had nothing that they could do well. Yes. And it's not yes. for a lack of trying. They had enough short yardage situations where if they could just run tackle dive, they would have. They, they never were able to do that. They need a guy that can actually carry the ball and move a pile forward. I think so, Najee Harris is that guy. If he's there at 24, that's what it is. If not, I don't think they're drafting a running back because they already have five of everybody else who's available. They don't need any more Benny Snells. They really don't. Benny Snell's not all that good. McFarland, I don't even remember his first name anymore. I always call him Booker. He's Anthony. not any good. Anthony. <laughs> is it Anthony? But, Anthony's the tackle, I thought. Who's our guy? It's, it's Anthony McFarland Jr. Oh, okay, yeah. great. That's, let's jump to that's the third round. We're not sure which one it is. Let's <laughs> jump to the third round since you guys have uh, uh, definitely uh, shot a hole in my dream of a running back in the second round, but that's fine. I get it. I get it. I understand. <laughs> I'd rather it's trade up if it's for Najee Harris. Harris great, yeah. <laughs> anybody in the second. I would, I, I, I would I, trade up for Harris before I'd take anybody else in the second. Because we're running long on time, we're at the 53-minute mark. We're just going to do – we'll just shift to the Steelers' picks, Luke. We'll just do who do you think the Steelers will select. You selected Creed Humphrey with the first-round pick, Jackson Carmen um, with the second-round pick. Go with – what's your third-round pick that you think the Steelers will hit now that they've addressed the offensive line with young talent? You know, I feel like you got to go defense, obviously, here. I think they'd love to take a receiver um, because, again, that's the range where they really tend to find guys that they really like, and it's a really deep receiver class. So that there's probably going to be a guy there that they really would like. Um, but I want to find a pass rusher. I think this is a, a pretty deep class of, of edge rushers. So if there's one of those, you know, top ten guys that, that happens to slide to them in the third round, um, the guy I think I would have my eye on, I like Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma a lot. Um, I think he's a, a very well-rounded player, can, can get after the passer, can stop the run, um, great technique, can, you know, has, has a, a pass rush arsenal already, kind of knows what he's doing, doesn't really need to, you know, he's not going to show up with no idea of, of how to use his athleticism as, in terms of technicalities as a pass rusher. So he's a guy that I think really could be on the board there. I think we will see a, a run on pass rushers towards the end of the first round, into the second. But he's a guy that I think could sneak through to the third round and give them a starting caliber 
guy opposite T.J. Watt. Now, Neil, we've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about RAS and how it's a it's a big component or athletic metrics, some sort of athletic scoring is a big uh, piece of what the Steelers do in terms of them selecting players. I'm looking at Ronnie Perkins's RAS, and his RAS is 5.13. While it's not red, meaning poor, for their particular site, it does look like it's a bit on the average athletic side. Speak to that, and do you think in the third round that RAS could impact the Steelers taking a player like Ronnie Perkins? Hey, let, let's let's go back into this as well. Um, Ronnie Perkins is not going to be your prototypical size guy either, and length and, and weight is a measurement within RAS. So you drop a guy down to that point, you can kind of see um, where he might score with that. At the same time, though, I don't. I wouldn't say based on their their measurements, which I I don't have proprietary knowledge of, but from what it seems like it's built to say, um, the little that I know of of Perkins. That doesn't surprise me. I don't think it hinders him either. I think he's a, a, a technique guy. I think he can play. He, I, he Luke, am I he, wrong? He's not the biggest guy out there. That, that's probably he was more what it is. Him. He no. was dinged on height and weight. Yeah, his, his, he's uh, not. Height it, it's weight probably more that weight. than anything. That isn't to say the Steelers want that size of a guy. I mean, typically, though, they, they draft that type of guy in like the sixth round. Uh, Perkins isn't going to last that long. I don't know if he's an ideal fit for what they do, but I, I definitely can see him. Uh, working into to, to being successful. And when you take an edge rusher in the third round, it's kind of an odd round for him. I think it really means more than anything, this is a solid player. This isn't a quick twitch explosive guy. In other words, Lance and our parlance, the, the differences between Jason Worlds and Alex Highsmith, the guy who's, who's projected to start at outside linebacker right now, uh, the differences between those two players coming out is not, it has nothing to do with technique because Worlds barely knew what he was doing, and Highsmith is a, a, a cagey veteran when it comes to rushing the passer. Highsmith is nowhere near the athlete that Worlds was, and that that really I think is more of what you see with Perkins. Not an elite athlete, not an elite size, but he's athletic. He can get after a quarterback. He's the type of guy I could see them wanting to bring in. Third round um, third round's probably right for him. It's just kind of an odd round for pass rushers. You, you remember Daniil Hunter. Um, it, it explosive quick twitch type of guy went to the Vikings with raw tools. When I say raw, I mean, he, he, I don't think he really had any sense of what he was doing when he was in college. Mike Zimmer worked him through and and got the most out of him that they possibly could have. He's a, a pro bowl level player now, largely because of the system that he was in. I could see a guy like Perkins being worked into, to, to being a, a fairly effective type of player. They, they definitely need uh, depth at that position, depth at every position. I've said this before, throw a dart at a board, you're going to hit a Steelers position in need. So I, I'm not sure if they're not just purely, we have five, six positions we'd like to address. This is the best player who's there right there. Take him. You know, I, I could totally see them having that sort of mentality this year. So Luke, give me the Steelers last two picks that we're going to do for the mock in the fourth round. Give me their 129th pick and their 140th pick. You have them selecting Creed Humphrey, Jackson, Carmen, and Ronnie Perkins. Give me the next two picks. I think the next couple of picks, um, this is a guy that I identified really early on, and I'd just love to see in that defense. It feels like he fits to me. I'd love to see Tyler Shelvin, the nose tackle from LSU. Um, I think he'd be, again, just a massive space eater type of guy. He's not the kind of top-end athlete that obviously you see the the best nose tackles in the league, but you know he's probably going to be a two-down guy. But I think you can get a starter if you have a role for him like that in the fourth round. And then it comes down to, I think, wide receiver. They're, they're deep enough for now, and they're young enough for now. So I'd, I'd probably lean on, on defense again and go corner. Israel Mukuamu from South Carolina is a guy I feel like I'm higher on than maybe he'll go in the league. Not sure exactly how fast he is in terms of time speed. But, man, 6'3", 205, those long arms, I feel like he he's a guy that could, that could really be a fun corner at the next level just because of that athleticism, the, the length, the height and his ability to press and, and especially in the red zone, he's a, he's a really fun corner to watch great ball skills, especially for a guy that big. A lot of times those guys are really, you know, they're really tight. They don't know as much about how to get to the ball as much as just to use their size and physicality, but he's a really savvy guy, really smart corner who knows how to get his hands on the ball too. It's interesting when I look at, um, you know, again, Tyler Shelvin, we're looking at RAS score I don't know if this is quite accurate, but if it is, he may have the lowest RAS score possible. I don't know if this is accurate. His <laughs> Do they go RAS, negative? I'm not sure. His 0. RAS 0. score 0. is 0. 0.86. 
and wow. he ranks very poor kind of in everything. That's like your um, GPA, Lance. No, my GPA was about 3.86. <laughs> God, you add, tried way too hard. Add, add, add a little three to it. So you got to <laughs> you know, too. That's yeah, the best I, part. I, you remember yeah. that. No, no, it's not. No, my daughter's is probably 3.86. Mine was wow. probably 3.76. She probably, no, nah, I'm just joking. So, <laughs> so Luke, you have the Steelers drafting Creed Humphrey. Uh, you got them drafting Jackson Carmen, Ronnie Perkins, Tyler Shelvin. And what was the name of the last player you had them take? Uh, Israel Mukuamu, corner from South Carolina. When I look at the picks, this feels like, when I look at your picks, this feels like a um, stick-to-your-ribs type draft where they have to build some foundational pieces and they have to build a great foundation as they move forward in this rebuild because I think they're clearly rebuilding and retooling this draft for the future. This feels like with your selections that this possibly is a draft that no one will get excited for, but if it works out well, it could have big dividends, let's say two, three years from now as they build out this next iteration of the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's your thoughts? I mean, that's kind of, that feels like a Steelers draft to me. I guess, like is, is the ability to build that foundation when you feel like the value at the flashier positions isn't there because then you can do it the other way around. And like I said earlier, taking Najee Harris is great in, in a vacuum. He's the 16th player on my board, so getting him at 24 is fantastic. But if you don't address that offensive line, he's going to have a hard time until you do. So the ability to build that foundation up front in the trenches, even on defense, like I said, with a guy like Shelvin, to address – premium positions on defense like corner and outside linebacker. Now you go into the next draft with the ability to take what would feel like a luxury this year. It won't be next year because you have that foundation in, in place at those positions that are of, of much more value. And you can take a receiver earlier. You can take a running back earlier. You can take a quarterback that you need at that point because you have those other foundational pieces in place and you're not trying to accomplish that all at once. I think balancing I think the, the mentality of that with, uh, sound evaluation is really the only thing they can do. I think they have enough holes um, that all of those things, while true, have to show themselves the way you need them to in the draft. You can't just take this position because you need it. The player has to justify it. And that's really why I hit the table for, for Harris if he's there, simply because odds are really good. If he's available at 24, he's going to be the best player available. Um, not the generic straight line model, but it, best player of positions that they need to address. They can't draft a scheme at 24 overall. They're not drafting an entire new coach. They're not replacing Mike Tomlin with 24 overall. They need to draft a player that can come in and play and help them develop that side. It's not the only guy that they need, and it's not the only pick that they're going to make in the draft. Overall, if, if they'd stick true to drafting good players and you know, hopefully you get some luck and some guys are a little bit better than you thought they were, they might be able to get on track. But really, this draft is going to have to set up next free agency period, which is going to have to set up next year's draft. They're not going to fix all this uh, three days in April 2021. And one thing specifically on Harris real quick, if you're going to take a running back who is going to have a be the best chance to succeed absent the uh, rebuilt offensive line, you take the guy who's 6'2", 235, is that kind of athlete, can make plays on every down, can pass, protect, and catch the ball, can run people over, because he's going to have to. It's a pure three-down guy that, that you don't need to get off the field. Mike Tomlin loves these guys more than life itself, you know, and he, he literally will destroy his entire career for the sake of getting him 350 touches if he can. I mean, Harris is built to do that. that that's the way he's going to view it. Um, if he's there, I think he's their guy. It's as simple as that for me. Before we conclude the show, Luke, um, give the listeners an update of some of the things that you got going on this week to, with the draft, where you can find them, and uh, shoot me some links as well, and I'll post all the links for everything and all of your content this week. So what you got going on this week? Yeah, man, we greatly appreciate that. Um, it's home stretch for us this week. So it's uh, like I said, the coffee is brewing strong because we've got um, a bunch of scouting reports that we're going up. Uh, a bunch a day, basically, where we're just trying to give people a, a great bird's eye view of each of these top prospects. Uh, so we'll have as many of those as, as you can handle. Uh, we'll have a couple new mock drafts this week. We try to approach it from a, a couple of different ways and, you know, 
longer ones with no trades, shorter ones with trades where we, you know, break things down in, in terms of what we actually think is going to happen and who could move up. So we'll have a couple of different ones of those. We'll obviously be on top of all the, the news and rumors that are happening. Who's trying to move up? Who's trying to move down? Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's it, man. We've got all of our rankings already done, the positional rankings, uh, the, uh, the overall rankings. We'll have all of that information packaged in a, uh, a kind of a complete preview primer tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, so any, anything you need, draftwire.usatoday.com. We've got it from every angle. We'll have it all the way up until the draft, live during the draft. We'll be recapping it immediately and, and getting you set for next year is, you know, way earlier than some people want to. But that's that's how we do it, man. We live and we breathe it over there. Yeah. Make sure you hit me with, with all your links and stuff, because when I do the post for the show, I'll make sure I include a link for any content that you want to push multiple links, whatever. I thank you for hopping on the show. Neil, as always, thank you for your outstanding commentary as usual. It was fun as always and probably at least kind of annoying, and I apologize for that in advance. But um, it's a great show, Lance. Thanks for putting it together. And, um, yeah, let's uh, let's keep in mind, too, we're going to do this uh, next week following um, the total wrap-up of the draft. And if you think I'm crazed out of my mind now, just wait until you see me next Saturday, Sunday, sometime in there. Uh, it's going to be nuts. So join in more for polarity and entertainment more than anything else. So Neil, for, for next week's show, we got to make sure you uh, you take your hat off because when you remove your hat, that that will be an indication of how crazy of a week it was for you. Is this kind of like a, a Lincoln Hawk thing over the <laughs> yeah. top? I yeah, flip it we'll, around, I turn into a machine. Yeah, we'll see. We'll right, see. I'm watching over the top tonight. So Luke, we're going to try you. If you're available, Luke, we definitely maybe want to have you on next week as well so you can give your post-draft thoughts. And we can see if it kind of lined up, at least from a positional a positional standpoint of what you thought, and we can give a recap next week. So I'm already booking you next week, Luke. I don't know if you can or not. Let's do it. Get in, get in early. Already, <laughs> I'll pay, I'll you've pay already you. been booked. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Steeler Nation.